welcome to a very special episode of this live stream where I'm normally programming an NES game live on Twitch, but today uh, we have a special guest. We have Kevin from Kahan Games. Hello. And uh, it is, uh, I'm so excited to have you here, uh, as I was telling you earlier, because we did a little test run to make sure that we could actually accomplish this. I, uh, right. I said I, I, I especially wanted to get Kevin, and uh, we have Bo also lined up for, for a similar sort of thing, um, because part of the reason that I'm doing the, the whole live stream of NES programming is because of the NES assembly line, which is a podcast that Kevin and uh, Bo uh, both host. So uh, I figured if, you know, I got this idea to get homebrewers on and it seemed like you guys were the perfect uh, candidates, but I didn't want to make it that it, you had to come on together because you are <laughs> two separate people. <laughs> <laughs> yep not a lot of people know that but yes yeah. we are different people and and you have different games that you write and different opinions that that to anybody who is to, to anybody who's listened to the the live stream uh, sorry the podcast that should be clear um, yeah yeah uh, vast vastly different opinions yeah. uh but we also agree on um, many things so right yeah um, so first of nice all to get into that. thank you for being on here i, I no, really thank you it. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a different uh, situation being on the receiving end of things for once. <laughs> well, so I mean, the thing for me, I, I, um, I, I wanted to get someone else's perspective on this because this is normally just me kind of puzzling through how to make the game do what I want. And mm -hmm. um, while I think people do definitely get something out of watching someone doing it for the first time and kind of learning it. I also think that there's a benefit of having someone experienced come on and uh, talk about, uh, and, and in more technical detail than I think you guys can get into on your podcast, because yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the, the podcast is kind of generally aimed at a more uh, casually interested audience. Oh, absolutely. And and I've, we've even gotten feedback that what we say on our watering it down type thing is still too technical for a lot of people. So oh, really, okay. um, yeah, we, we do try to generalize uh, everything we say kind okay. of down to the most common denominator. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard. It's hard because, you know, you're you're trying to um, reach as broad an audience as possible to get them interested in homebrew. And a large part of what homebrew is, is the technical aspect of it and um you know and and learning about it and uh kind of deciphering the ancient hardware that is the nes yeah and a, a lot of the interests that that people like you and i when we look at a project that someone in the community is doing we can find a lot of interesting things in in knowing what they had to do behind the scenes mm -hmm. um to kind of make it happen and you know to the to the common person just wanting to play the games they look at things completely different than, than right. what you and i might see as enjoyable right yeah so um to start off with i uh, i i trick you and this is actually an interview and you now have to write a sorting algorithm in 6502 <laughs> live on stream and, uh, and oh, i'm gonna and, fail and it has to be you know o of n log n complexity so why don't you start 
um, share your screen. <laughs> no, oh yeah, let's no. let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, all of those viewers that you just got will be yeah, leaving. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just I'm teasing, but I did want to get into. So, um, if you can start by talking about uh, some of your background and and how you got into, like when you, I know a little bit of this from the podcast, but like when you got into NES Homebrew you know, where, where was Kevin in his life at that point in time? What were you doing? Um, so I had just moved from Florida, uh, to Dallas. Um, I grew up here in Florida. I dated a girl in high school. Um, and we sort of lost, uh, lost contact with one another. Um, but when we sort of started talking again, she was living in Dallas. Um, and we sort of just sort of reconnected and I thought it might be fun to go visit her to kind of just see how it would be because we were sort of hitting it off uh, talking mm -hmm. talking online again. Um, so I went out there for a couple weeks. Um, it was good. So I wound up actually moving out there uh, and living with her. But it was right in like the 2007 time frame when mm -hmm. um, when the economy tanked. Right. So I could not find a job out there to save my life. Um, I had just graduated from college. I had a graphic design degree, um, but there was just no one hiring. So I was getting really, really depressed with my life because I was, you know, putting in 20 applications a day, getting no calls and you just start to get discouraged and you, you want to find something that will sort of distract you, take your mind off of the depressing aspects of life. So um, I was really active. That's when Nintendo Age was first sort of starting out, um, mm -hmm. 2007, 2008. Um, and Bunny Boy had just, he, would ju he was just starting to put out the Nerdy Night tutorials. He might have had two or three weeks done. Mm -hmm. um, so I came across the threads and I thought, you know what, it would be, it would be kind of cool to make an NES game. I have, I have zero programming background, never mm -hmm. programmed a thing in my life, had always wondered how games were made, but I, mm -hmm. I had zilch, I had zero idea. So sort of taking the time to read through his, his weekly tutorials, um, having no background, I had nothing to sort of compare it to or... It was just really, it was really hard for me to make sense of them, but I, I just kept sort of reading them and rereading them and trying to make sense of them. Um, and luckily, Nintendo H has gone through a lot of different chat room iterations, and I don't remember what sort of chat room Nintendo H was using at the time. Um, but Bunny Boy has always been a frequenter of whatever mm -hmm. chat rooms were available. So um, as I tried to make sense of these uh, tutorials, I would ask him questions. And God, I, he has the patience of a saint because the questions, as someone who knew nothing about programming, I'm sure the questions I was asking them weren't even making sense. Um, but he like took the time to sort of answer everything I asked him. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, somehow we put Frogger together. together. Um, I would ask him questions every little step. I'd be like, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And he would basically walk me through it. And over the course of that game, I sort of learned how to piece things together. And, and the thing about that, which is kind of amazing to me, is that you had alluded to in the uh, the podcast, unless I, I didn't I misunderstood, that that was actually a really tough game to make on the NES. Um, oh yeah. So it wasn't like you you chose something 
and and you had probably no idea because I I can't even think about right now what the challenges of that might be because you look at Frogger and you're like, what's the big deal? It's on the twenty six hundred, right? Well, right off the bat, um, what makes this specific game hard on the NES is right away it has that sprite limitation. So mm-hmm. Frogger is constructed of various rows of a lot of cars mm-hmm. and a lot of logs, mm-hmm. so you can't use sprites to do that you have to use background with sprite zero splits on every row going opposite directions and then you have to make basically a map that keeps track of where you are and where the cars are you have to you know keep track of where the 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 coordinates of every car and every log and where it's collision and where it's not so it gets uh it gets overwhelming very quickly (laughs) right yeah yeah so like for people who have watched me work on the stream like we we had touched on sprite zero hits just for a status bar and that's Mm -hmm. one split right right and then we eventually switched over to mmc3 because it does the interrupt uh for the timer to kind of simplify that process you didn't do it for one split. You did. I mean, how many splits are there? Uh, I want to say 12. Yeah. So like you had to have the timing down so tight to get every yeah. single one of those lanes that you were changing with every sprite zero hit. Uh, like yeah. Perfect. And I'm sure that you've, in, in your interaction with Sprite Zero, I'm sure that you've run into the fact that if it's not timed perfectly, you see the tearing oh, yeah. on screen. So yeah, basically you, I would have to do make sure everywhere was perfect, and then when I added PAL support, the timing's completely different. Oh, so yeah, I have to have basically a detection in there to see if it's PAL or NTSC, and then have time delays for each region for every split. Wow. So you you went with no programming experience right. into probably one of the toughest. I mean, it has certain aspects of it that are that are simple, which is yeah. good because it was tough enough even without that stuff. But right. you you went in with no programming experience to do one of the tougher things that you could do because of how performance sensitive it is and how yeah. timing sensitive it, it, it is. Um and that's why if you look in the manual for that game, um, and even maybe on the credit screen, I don't remember how exactly I wrote it, but I listed Brian as one of the programmers because I make no sort of false claims that I programmed that by myself. There's just no way that I would have had any idea how to do any of that stuff. So he really did walk me through it. But it was sort of trial by fire. I was forced mm-hmm. to learn a lot of the a lot of the things right there off the bat. And so when you were getting into that and, and, you know, I I kind of alluded to this earlier when we were chatting, part of what I want to kind of talk about on, on these discussions is like early frustrations that I think we all have when we start programming on the NES um, because of what a limited system it is. Like what were the, I mean, it sounds like there were a lot, but what Mm -hmm. were the things that you remember being the most frustrating? Because I think, you know, because people are coming in with similar experiences as you, they're not, they, they, I, I I know from personal experience getting into looking at things like 3D graphics and, and, you know, programming sort of more modern games, you know, you feel like an idiot, right? You go in and you're like, I'm the stupidest person alive. I can't figure out how to do something that's supposed to be the most basic thing. 
Um, I think it's important for people to know that you, especially having made so many games for the NES now, mm -hmm. um, you experience the same thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the problems or challenges that I ran into from the start are still the same challenges that I find myself in, you know, 12 games in. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that you have to do so much of the graphical updates on the background itself on the mm -hmm. NES because you're so limited with sprites and there are only so many sprites you could have on screen at once. So, so much of the graphical load you have to basically heap onto the background. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to update, you know, more than 20 tiles per frame, mm -hmm. you're just constantly, depending on what you have going on in the game at that time, you just, it just starts, you just start seeing graphical artifacts or flickering right. or just and trying to track down exactly what's causing them in every single game that i do it's a problem and you start to, you have to like scale things back and and come up with tricks like okay well i'll i'll turn off the screen for three frames this time and hope no one notices that it's like a little bit more of a delay before the screen turns back on right. um and like that's a big problem just the back dealing with the background in general um but then the attribute tables you know you, you have to you can't make anything look too good like especially if you're dealing with like 3d graphics for like a, a graphic adventure game or something mm -hmm. when you're dealing with something at a 45 degree angle but like you run into this item not being able to use this color because you have to only use this palette for a 16 mm -hmm. by 16 pixel area it's just such a pain and it's you have to deal with trade-off after trade-off after you know backwards trick whatever you can do to make what your idea work um right it's and just so tough what, what made you keep going because like i said i mean you you chose something that was so uh challenging and you know you you were asking brian for help and i think somebody else would have been like this is ridiculous why am i why am i spending my time doing this uh, you know basically this other guy is i mean i'm not saying that it you know it was exactly like this but you know this other guy is knows more about it than i am why isn't he making it instead of me right um and that's a good question um i think that i have I have a trait where I sort of enjoy solitude. Um, so the fact that I, I'm only limited by myself as far as being able to create something. So if I know that if I put in the time and the dedication to just push through this, like there's nothing stopping me except for my own ability to learn. And I take that as a challenge to myself. Like if someone else can do this, you know, I look at Rob from Slydog Studios mm -hmm. at the time and I'm, I, I'm not trying to speak ill of him at all, but at the time he was a janitor. Mm -hmm. I was like, this dude who's making these awesome games is scrubbing toilets. Like if he can do this, why can't I? So I'm just looking to my peers saying, these are just normal dudes. Right. They don't have anything that I don't have ability-wise. They ha they might have some programming background, but everyone starts somewhere. So why not me? And and that's and that is such a an amazing point because I think the the thing that people don't necessarily realize is I mean I I think there are a core set of people who are involved in homebrew that do have the 
background in you know computer science or hardware engineering yeah um you know so like brian bunny boy from retro usb obviously uh as you said super smart guy he he always jokes that he went to school for building supercomputers and then Cray went out of business. Um, right. And, you know, so obviously tremendously talented and knowledgeable about um, homebrew. But then you get other people, um, you know, like yourself and like uh, Kasumi um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, other people that you probably know that I haven't talked to much, but, you know, like Kasumi, he's on there constantly providing feedback and has this huge amount of technical knowledge. And I remember asking him, you know, oh, so you were a programmer full time. He's like, no way I could never do that. (laughs) You're like, what? Right. You just pointed, you know, you just poked like 10 holes in something that I spent three hours kind of putting together yeah. and then showed me a demo that you put together in five minutes of how to do it properly. Right. You know, and, and that just blows my mind that there's such a mixture of people, like you said, that are just normal people who are doing this because they love it and, yeah. uh, and just super talented. Um, but there's nothing in what we do that anyone couldn't learn. It's just finding the time and pushing through when you get to a roadblock. Right. Right. And, and that's, and that's again, sort of the idea of, you know, the part of the idea of these videos is to show like, you know, look, I've been programming since I was 13, you know, and, and even I get stuck uh, regularly on these streams Mm -hmm. and if nobody takes anything else away from my streaming, but, you know, that even people who do this professionally, uh, you know, get stuck on things. Right. Then I think that's pretty valuable. I mean, you talking about the challenges that you've had doing this, I think is valuable because people don't understand that. There's always this perception that people who are doing it and are doing it successfully, like know everything. And Right. And And no one does. I mean, I, I follow some professional programmers like Sarah Dreisner on Twitter. She constantly she's doing you know she talks to rooms of people about her Mm -hmm. programming Mm -hmm. and even she says that like she looks stuff up online every day like to figure out how to do something no one knows everything it's just a matter of being able to find ways to find what you're looking for how to do something yeah exactly uh i mean and and that and that part is absolutely true there's nobody that i know I mean, it used to be because the internet was not something that, you know, even some companies allowed you to have at work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, <laughs> you, you had to, you had to remember how to, you know, code from memory and you used, you know, your Unix man pages or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, now it's like, there are so few problems that people deal with on a regular basis for their normal day jobs that, other people aren't dealing with you just do a google right. search and you can find yep. at least something that will give you a hint and you'll be like oh right okay i can use what right. they're doing for that problem in my problem in a different way yep um yeah the internet's a godsend in that it, uh, yeah, in that regard yeah. yeah we were we were just talking yesterday a coworker of mine and i we were talking about you know dialing up on you know 50 28k or 56k modems to yep 
he he was on um IRC a lot and uh-huh. and uh and just you know looking up as much information as he could through that and yeah it's it's like i used to take books out of the library because they were too expensive to buy um you know as a kid that was that was all we had and, yeah you know, I, and now here we are yeah i know i know i'm gonna get out of this hole this is the we're back in the get off my lawn portion of of the usual uh, of the usual discord uh, discussions where we start making fun of modern technology and people right. complaining about it. So, <laughs> um, let's let's talk a little bit about how you design your games because one thing that I I found kind of interesting is um, you always, or it seems to me anyway, that you have this way of kind of uh, being self deprecating about some of the <laughs> games that you've made. And, uh, sure. And so, uh, and, and it's funny because uh, uh, I'd listened to the beginning of the, the podcast that just came out today on my way home from work and, and uh, Bo said something that was pretty hilarious because you've said it yourself too, is that the incident is just a Sokoban clone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think we ever spell out in that episode that that someone said exactly that and it's just become a running joke oh okay um yeah someone when i first put out the game basically said you know one person said oh there's no demo like i'm not interested in even trying this Mm -hmm. and then someone else said it's just a sokoban clone like there's nothing new here so we we took those two snippets and we basically just repeat them ad nauseum (laughs) (laughs) well i mean so, so so to kind of take that at face value what i think is interesting about that kind of comment is that what people don't seem to understand about uh, game design and good game design is how it's an evolution of a simple idea into something um, more complete and more interesting. And it it seems like to me from, and to be fair, um, I have not played the incident and, and my, my copy of study hall is coming tomorrow. Um, (laughs) so, so unfortunately I could not play the, the real NES version to, uh, to compare the, the Pico eight version. But, um, it seems like to me that your design tends to come from this idea of taking a simple idea and iterating upon it until like you're probably so sick of it you never want to see it again is that is that true or is there um i mean it's partially true um a lot of my ideas for games come in some essence from games i've paid played in the past mm-hmm. so um there's an old pc dos game called manhunter at the very end of that game there's a little mini game where you climb these ropes and dodge fireballs and i thought man it would be cool to remake that on nes mm-hmm. so i started doing it and i was like man i'm really bad at graphics maybe i should just make them look like a middle school drew them because when i was in middle school i would doodle on paper and draw little tanks and little mm-hmm. war scenes so i thought trying to combine those two ideas would be fun um and then i just kept making levels and it turned mm-hmm. into study hall um which was a lot of fun um but no i still love playing study hall and the incident so it's not that i um iterate on them until i'm sick of them but i do try to take um sort of simple ideas and push them in in as far as far as i can in unique ways mm-hmm. i i try cuz when you boil it down to like there really aren't that many unique games like everything can be comparable to something else right. but you basically have to take something and build upon it in a unique way if you can. And I think that's where um, I, I don't 
I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I think that's where I excel in, in, mm-hmm. in taking an idea and sort of twisting a little bit um, and making something new out of it. Well, I don't think there's, uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't interpret that as arrogance. I mean, I think there's, at a, at a, again, at a fundamental level, all good game design really comes to finding the core of an idea that's fun and trying to tease out what makes it fun and then mm-hmm. how to um, how to extend that out sort of into a bigger realm. I mean, I know people from the Discord are probably sick of me referencing this, but, you know, there's that video of Jonathan Blow back in 2007. And the reason I keep referencing it is because I was I was there watching him talk about it and it left a pretty... Um, pretty distinct memory in in my game design brain which was that he talked about how you know he would just build all these prototypes of these really really simple ideas and was like you know some of them were dumb you know and yeah and and they just they didn't they weren't good games and then you know he hit upon this idea of drawing lines um from this other idea he had um and and that became the basis of the witness and you know the witness obviously sold tremendously well and, yeah and is a fantastic game um but you know if you wanted to if you wanted to be really reductionist about it like that's all the witnesses is drawing lines right right but it's so much more than that like the so so for you to be like you know joking about it just being another sokoban clone i, I think is kind of hilarious because <laughs> i mean you could say that about any game it's you know right. it's, it's just uh you know rocket league is just a pong clone i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah if you if you reduce it enough levels i mean yeah yeah you're right so um, um that's fun though i love i love that's probably the favorite game that i've done oh cool um so so t- talk to me about how you actually do your level design you know from a technical perspective because one of the challenges I find I'm having right now is, you know, I've got stuff loading onto the NES and the emulator and, and the hardware and it it works. But now we're at sort of the point where all the technology stuff is, well, it was working up until Monday and then I ran into a problem, <laughs> but, but it was mostly working. And then, um, and, and, uh, and, you know, we're getting to the point where like now it's not, it's not a game yet. It's just sort of a tech demo. Um, and uh, we need to actually start implementing something that's a game. Sure. And, you know, I'm torn between like trying to do that in the actual NES code and or doing that in something that's a little bit more simple to kind of get things running in. How do you how do you do your level design, especially early on when the game is still being sort of fleshed out and and written? Um, after my engine basically supports the various assets that I plan to put in it, like mm-hmm. you know when I had the paper airplane in study hall and I had the fireballs sort of falling randomly, they choose a line and it'll fall randomly. Mm-hmm. I honestly just after the engine supports it, I just sort of place things on screen 
in my head, I kind of think, okay, if this is level one, I want it to be sort of simple. I'll just put something here and something here, mm-hmm. and then I'll just try it to see yeah. how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always tweaking going on. I'll be like, okay, well, I need to move this key up eight pixels or something. Um, but honestly, I just kind of throw things at the screen and and kind of see what sticks. And then after I have a level that feels good and I have multiple levels that feel good, I go back and sort of arrange them in what I think is easiest to what I think is hardest. And after I play through the game and kind of see how things feel as a whole, there's still more tweaking going on. But I never sit back from the start and and plan things out on paper or anything like mm-hmm. that because I don't think you can get a really good sense of how it would play until you're physically playing it and seeing how it feels. No, I, I agree. And I mean, so then when you're designing, when you're writing the code, are you purposely writing your code in such a way that you can get your assets in with minimal headache from the very yeah. beginning? Yeah. Cause, cause when I, I mean, I, I'm just going to use this, the study hall and the incident as my two examples. Cause those are sort of, arcadey type games with multiple Mm -hmm. levels um but i kind of know from the start as the game progresses what i'm going to like how i'm going to iterate on an idea like i'm going to add this item at some point to make the game a little bit harder i'm going to add this enemy at a certain point to make the game a little bit harder so i program in the ability to add that stuff in from the start. I don't know how I'm going to do it, like how it's actually going to play out, but mm-hmm. the code is in there to, to make it very easy to add that item in at some point. So, okay. you know, when I get to level three and I say, okay, I want to add the fireball to drop on me. I just basically in my code, I have a place where I can say, okay, in this level, the fireball is active. Mm-hmm. And then, it just picks a random row and drops on me and I'll say, Oh God, that's way too fast. I need to delay it longer before it falls down or, or things like that. And just tweak, tweak items as I go. Okay. And so, so then you're not building, like I know uh, a lot of the people uh, in the discord talk about, you know, they've built different tool chains and map editors and stuff like that. It sounds like you're not, you're just working directly in code. I would kill for the ability to do that. Um, but since I've only taught myself assembly language and, and to a, a lesser degree, Lua, since I poked around a little bit in Pico eight, but I've already forgotten everything. Um, I just don't have the, the ability or the knowledge to build tools. I just, I don't possess that knowledge and I'm sure that I could, if I mm-hmm. wanted to just like I learned assembly, push myself to learn you know how to program that stuff in C or or whatever um but i've developed a workflow that works for me and has for so long Mm -hmm. that i don't really need to change things up at this point because i have a familiarity with my process um and i haven't run into it not working for me yet so um i don't need to introduce anything new into my into my routine yeah and, and it's interesting because it almost sounds like to on the one hand you know, there, there's obviously a benefit of having some of these tools, um, or else people wouldn't be building them, but, um, on the flip side, it, um, it, it sounds like you set yourself up in such a way that not having the tools doesn't really hinder you because you're knowing that you don't have them. You've, you've basically focused on, okay, well, 
how can I get this into the game as simple as possible without them? Which I mean, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but but well, no, like I mean, conscious it, effort there, right? Well, ignorance is bliss. Like if I don't know, it would be easier to do it this other way. Then it never crosses my mind. So I automatically in my brain know I have to do this and this and this to get what my idea to work. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna have to do that. Right. Um, but at the same time, that being said, I think that I scale my projects to fit my skill set. So if I wanted to make an elaborate platformer, I would probably be screwed with with my sort of setup and routine because mm-hmm. um, entering in that many assets, I think, would take a long time without some sort of tool. Right. Well, it's I mean, if you look at what. um at least at the beginning, it seems like they had at Nintendo when they were starting out. It it doesn't seem like there's really... It didn't seem like they had that many tools, and I don't know if that's just because nobody's kind of divulged them at this mm-hmm. point uh, and they're lost to time, or if it's just because computers were so slow that any tools you would have would be too slow to actually do things uh more quickly than you can just do by hand because you know uh, i have posted on the youtube um homepage for all of these it's a picture from uh the nintendo store in new york of levels from super mario brothers right and they're just drawn out on graph paper right um and to me that seems like it's just you know in the absence of good good tools uh or capable tools they they did what you're doing and 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 you know that was their solution to not having a map editor was right well we'll just use graph paper and you know there's whiteout and and drawings and annotations and corrections and stuff but sure um you know maybe 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 it is possible to build super mario brothers without <laughs> without a tool set i don't know it's that's mind-blowing to even consider but i guess like good game ideas they just find a way to work I, right. I don't know how they did something like that yeah i don't know it's it's uh that's one thing that and and maybe you can shed some more light on this i i know there was some discussion about this recently but um i don't get a sense that people really know a whole lot about what how things were done early on uh when games were actually being released at least outside of you know nintendo um themselves yeah i i certainly haven't seen any sort of documentation or i think the only video i've seen is of like tim fallen's composing music and Mm -hmm. and what he used to compose music at that time but programming wise I have no idea what sort of tools I I'm, I'm sure that each of the companies sort of developed their own way of doing things. Um, but I haven't seen any sort of indication of how they did it. Right. I, I, I want to say, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I remember hearing that the composer for Castlevania in order to get the music to sound right, learned how to program 6502. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure that's a, a a true fact somebody that's incredible in, in chat will correct me if i'm wrong hopefully <laughs> um and and as a reminder if you're on here listening and you have questions um beyond yeah, what we're them. talking about send send them over uh one thing to mention way early in the chat uh eugene myers uh ec myers uh, asked if you're doing okay since you're down in florida yeah um the hurricane hit probably 
60 miles east of me um so my town escaped barely um but my girlfriend lives uh basically right where it hit so um they haven't they didn't let anyone back into panama city until this morning she's been staying here in crestview um but we're still unsure of of basically what sort of damage has been done to her stuff so that'll that'll be a, a concern of ours going forward yeah it, it uh it looks like it was um Looks like it was a big mess. <laughs> yeah, it's, to uh, understate that the Panhandle had never been hit with a Category Four before, so it's it's the worst that we've ever seen. Man, um, Paul is saying there's a good interview of Nasser talking about when he coded Final Fantasies. I'll have to check that out. It's it's yeah. mind blowing to me that they had one guy as the programmer for Final Fantasy. I know. Um, so yeah, that'll be. I'll have to. Look yeah, that if you up. could link that in the chat, uh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um. So uh, we kind of touched upon this, but I was curious: what was the first thing? What was the first problem you hit with it, homebrew that made you just want to say, you know, forget it. I'm done. I don't want to. I'm sure you would have used stronger words, but I'm trying not to. Uh, <laughs> Family I friendly. To, I, I try to, but you know. Um, I it's it's hard to to say what that was because it seemed like every new step was that. <laughs> um, but I can tell you the first eureka moment I had mm -hmm. um, learning assembly. Um, I was trying to get. And I don't even think I accomplished this before I released Frogger, but I was trying to make it to where when the frog hopped, it would show him outstretched for a few frames mm -hmm. and then back to, you know, a, a, a slightly stretched in uh, standing position. So I wanted to animate him to show him jumping. Right. Um, I couldn't figure out how to do this. I mean, when you stop and think about it now as someone who knows how to program, like it's it's ridiculous that I ever had this problem, mm -hmm. but to someone who doesn't really fully understand what they're doing, even when they're coding, um, I would just try to store the, the sprite number of his stretched out space, mm -hmm. you know, 15 times in a row. Maybe if I type it in a bunch more times, <laughs> it'll delay him. No, it mm -hmm. doesn't work because it's just storing the same number over and over and over in the same frame. So mm -hmm. obviously to the end user, you're not going to be able to tell. But the day that I understood what a loop was doing mm -hmm. with like the X register mm -hmm. and, you know, you tell it to like, you know, increase X when X gets to, you know, 10 Mm -hmm. finish the subroutine the day i understood loops was the best day of my life like <laughs> i ran around my house like like i had just defeated apollo creed and i was rocky or something like <laughs> it blew my mind um but loops like loops are my favorite thing ever since i figured that out so my, thank my god old, for loops yeah definitely my my old boss used to tell me this story um he he was a graduate student teaching a uh, computer science class and he said that he would start with the the new uh, CS students and teach them sort of, you know, the basics of programming in whatever language they were teaching at the time. And, you know, and then he'd say, OK, you know, so they get to a point where they were doing something that was relatively simple, but had to be done over, you know, 100 items or 200 items. And he would, you know, he'd make them write out the code on the blackboard in front of the class. 
And then they get to a point where they, you know, we're doing that and he'd say, all right, well, you know, I guess we have to write, you know, write it 200 times. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, you get some of the students who really didn't understand what was going, going on being like, I guess so. And, and you'd get like one or two students who were like, isn't there some way we can like count it or something, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's funny how, now that you understand it, it, it seems like an obvious thing, right? But right. it's, it's, it is, it's like this, it's once you understand programming, I think it's hard to remember what it's like not to understand programming. Right. Um, it's like when uh, Bunny Boy posted something about his knitting project in, in the Discord chat, and I commented, oh, this must be what it's like to talk to someone about programming and know nothing about it. <laughs> he, just used, he used all these these words and later he said that he was just using every buzzword he could yeah think of, but but that's what it that's what it must be like because you know yeah. you start it's just gibberish about, yeah you just talk about registers and and oh complexity and stuff like that and yeah man it's uh so yeah it it sounds stupid to say like until you have the knowledge you don't have the knowledge but like even like as someone who knows programming when you read something you have to understand literally every line and what it's doing. But when you get to that point, it all makes sense. But like right. anyone, you can get to that point. You just have right. to take the time. Right. And it's, and you know, and I, and I, I say this um, partially as a criticism, but it's, it's not fair because it, it is a difficult thing to do. So this is not certainly a knock on anybody who's, who's contributed anything to the, uh, the Nestev wiki, but, um, I've commented a few times that it reads like a college textbook in that it yeah. makes sense to someone who knows it already. But if you don't right. know what they're talking about, you're just totally still right. Clu feel clueless. Um, and, and it's like you said, it's like once you, once you understand it, it makes sense, but it's getting to that point. Right. That wiki is not for the common person. Like you right. have to know what you're doing to even look at that. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, you know, it's a lot of just, as as i've found out you, you kind of read it you kind of vaguely understand it and then you mm -hmm. and then you have uh and then you you go to implement it and you're wrong and <laughs> it doesn't work and you're like okay right. what did i mess up and you play with it and then you figure out what was wrong and you're like oh that's what they meant by that you know that three word sentence that that you kind of right over you know and um i found that even bunny boys tutorials um and I've heard this from a couple people that have looked at them, like they can still be a little too technical for, yeah. for the common person to get to. So um, I actually wrote my own set of, I think are a little bit easier tutorials that I never posted online because I never wanted to face the criticism of, you know, people that know more than me. Well, um, but I if anyone is watching this um, and you've tried the nerdy nights and you didn't quite understand them or get through them. Um, if you want to send me, you know, a tweet at a ton of glaciers, um, you could try mine and see how they work for you. Maybe, maybe it'll get you over the hump. And, and, and that's not to say that nerdy nights is bad or anything. Cause I oh, God, no. it's, it's especially, I think it's, I think it's really, um, it's especially good if you're a programmer coming into the NES, it's got just the, the right amount of detail to get you started. Yeah. Um, I think we're, like you said, it's a little bit tough as if someone is totally unfamiliar. I mean, we've had people come into the discord who like, don't even know how to install CC 65. Right. Because it's command line and there is no installer. And so, right. 
you know, it's like you really, for some people, have to start at the very beginning. And that's not a knock on anybody because, sure. I mean, it looks like you are familiar with, you know, uh, you've been posting stuff about, you know, gaming and DOS. And mm-hmm. um, so you at least had some familiarity with that, I guess, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that I helps. think that that did me a lot of good, like being familiar with what to do on a command line. If you're mm-hmm. just looking at notepad and you have to figure out how to make a command happen, yeah. um, you know, having some sort of background in that department um, helped a lot. But I mean, to the average person, if you say run this batch file, mm-hmm. you know, if you're writing a tutorial that says, okay, run this batch file, if someone doesn't know what a batch file is or how to run one, I know mm-hmm. it sounds ridiculous to you or I, but like some people need to be explained how to do something right. like that. So breaking down things, one step further and spelling things out, I think could benefit, um, you know, some people. Yeah. And it makes it cumbersome. I think uh, there, there's always the need to have, I think different tutorials for different levels of people with different experiences. And so, you know, I, I think you should definitely, um, you know, put out a supplement to nerdy nights and, and, you know, and, and have it, you know, maybe, maybe it's like nerdy nights for dummies or something. <laughs> Dummy nights. <laughs> um, you know, cause I, I, there, I mean, especially with the, the advent of, um, the NES classic systems, which, you know, like them or hate them seem to have really brought back, uh, people's nostalgia, for NES games, which, you know, I think is kind of, um, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of people remember NES games fondly, but as well, I, I know, I know, uh, maybe Derek won't agree, but, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of terrible games for the NES. Um, oh God. Yeah. Probably and, 90% and, of them. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, but, but people don't seem to remember that. And it's kind of brought back this nostalgia for, um, for the NES games and, and, you know, people now are coming in and seeing that there are new NES games, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I think kind of mind blowing to people. And then, and then on top of it, you have something like NES maker, which, you know, whatever your opinion is on it is bringing in a whole bunch of new people right to to the scene some of whom will you know we kind of know that they're 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 not interested in learning the coding side of things which i understand i mean that's not for everybody absolutely um but there there are a number of people who because of that are looking for tutorials they're doing searches on youtube they're they're you know coming into the discord they're asking questions um, and I don't know if you get a lot of emails or not of people, but, you know, I get at least, you know, a couple comments here and there of people who are, you know, on the NES maker beta and, and just looking for anything to be able to get their game off the ground. Yeah. I think that's, it's going to be very interesting seeing, you know, in a few months when sort of the newness of NES Maker blows over, because, you know, in anything, and, and I'm the same way, if I if I have the slightest interest in something and I find a tool that says, oh, you can do, you can do what you want to do with this tool, I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't sort of immediately, if I don't see that actually being attainable pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I give up. So I think it's going to be interesting in a few months to see what sort of people are sticking around 
um, and delving in further saying, okay, NES maker maybe can't do what I wanted it to do originally, but I still want to do what I want to do. What can I find that gets me there? Right. right. And, and, you know, regardless of how that ends up um, in the end, in terms of the success of NES maker or not, I think the interesting thing is that they've, they've taken on a pretty steep challenge. I mean, it's hard to make an NES game in the first place, right? Make a tool to make an NES game that's not specifically specialized is also, um, really tough. Well, yeah, people said it was impossible for years and years and years. Like, Oh, is there a tool to let me do this? No, like it's not possible because every game's engine is different. So the fact that that they were even to accomplish what they have so far Mm -hmm. with NES maker, I think it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know, I, I mean, look, we, 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 we've all seen, we've all seen the, the output from it and we, we know the limitations, but again, I think the fact that somebody even bothered trying, right. Um, was pretty, pretty, it's admirable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's that quote about the, the company or the guy who had the vision of the transatlantic cable. Right. And, it got done and afterwards he said you know if i had known how hard it was going to be i wouldn't have done it right (laughs) i i mean i kind of feel like it's going to be a similar thing um because it is it's a it's a hard thing yeah um it's and and it can't be encouraging when you're approaching people who are super talented in the space and um and they're telling you why are you wasting your time it can't be done um which is hard because I, I find that the community overall is pretty welcoming and and yeah. uh, and positive. Um, so I mean I feel like that might be indicative of what a real challenge it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings me to something I w- wanted to talk about too is like the community as a whole. How do you think that that's um, how do you feel like that's changed over the years since you got started? Because you've been doing this, you said since like two thousand seven, right? Yeah. Um, it's tough. I mean, at the beginning, there weren't, I don't think many people, there definitely weren't many people finishing games. There were a lot of people doing little tech demos and showing sort of what is possible on the NES. Mm-hmm. Um, but there weren't a lot of people actually making full games, which was bizarre to me because like, if you have the capabilities why wouldn't you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like a lot of the people that knew the most had no interest in making full games. They were just right. sort of, they wanted to see, oh, can I get it to do this? Oh, and if I do, I'm going to document it just to show that I did it and the other smart people will be impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a it was a community of people just sort of seeing what the system could do because in the grand scheme of things, it's come a long way in 10 years, but back then people were still figuring things out and a lot of stuff had been figured out, but you know, um, but I think bunny boys, nerdy nights tutorials really opened the door to people to it being accessible and, and more people sort of started flooding in. And I think as more people started being introduced to it, the people that were there were very welcoming because it's like, Oh, this other guy wants to make a full game. Awesome. Like I want to help you do this because like, mm-hmm. it's only going to benefit the entire community. Right. So I think as the years went on, um, I think that it's been overwhelmingly positive because 
when you find other people who are into like making old nes games like i know in real life when i go to work and i come home and the people i interactive interact with like they don't they think it's cool but they don't really care like i can't sit there and talk to them about it you know for four hours and them give a crap um but finding people online who say they want to do the same thing that i'm doing like why would i not want to be welcoming to them and like try to do everything i can to help them so i think that the community's changed in that it's grown and it's only grown in a positive way because the people who are making games um and finishing games that wasn't common back then so finishing projects now and finding other people that are encouraging me and other people to finish projects it's just awesome yeah no and and that's that's an interesting um contrast i think um i think the other thing that i i really appreciated coming into this was I mean, and you and Bo do a really good job of conveying this on the podcast, um, but it wasn't clear to me by listening to the podcast alone that the the sincerity and the care about what's being done is kind of universal. And like you said, I think it's because it's an it's an old system, and in certain a certain sense, it's like. I mean, more maybe more so now they do. Maybe there's uh, you you were joking about that on the podcast, uh, the homebrew bubble, right? But um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know there is there is this um, there is this group of there are these group of people that that um, that do really care about the thing and they're doing it because they love doing it and yeah. Um, you know, I, so I'm trying to think of like how to organize all these thoughts that are now swirling to, to kind of put it to you and see what you think. But like, I mean, you, like you kind of alluded to people, you know, at work, they, they go to work and they, they do what they have to, you know, cause it's work and you, you have to make mm-hmm. money somehow, but there are f- very few vocations or jobs or professions or whatever you want to call them that I feel like people go and do because they like sincerely, deeply care about it or love it. Um, you know, I can think of a couple off the top of my head and, and, uh, and I w- I've been listening to, um, I don't know if you know who Rob Paulson is. He's a voice actor. Um, Isn't he- that uh, what they called that guy in fight club? Robert Paulson. <laughs> Is it? Um, he, yeah. he did the voice of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, and, okay, and Yakko from uh, Animaniacs, and he does a he does a podcast about where he interviews voice actors, um, and I and I feel like it's the same thing. You listen to them talk about what they do. I mean, and granted, it's a cool job, right? Like it's they go Absolutely. in and they, and they and they do voices and they get paid a lot of money to do it, but <laughs> but they they love what they do. And listening to you and Bo and talking to folks in the um, in the Discord and and listening to the interviews that you do and and like even the Micromages um, Kickstarter the video that they put together like you could tell there's like this real care and love that goes into what's being done that I don't think happens 
often just in general well yeah and i think i think and i don't know kind of what everyone else's background is but when i think back to the mid 80s and early 90s during the nes's lifespan Mm -hmm. when i think back to my time playing those games and and i'm sure you know nostalgia is a big part of it but just like thinking about how happy i was and how just like sitting down to play ninja turtles at my grandma's house in ohio like Mm -hmm. i just have these memories burned into my head so the fact that i can make a sprite go across the screen Mm -hmm. on the very same system Mm -hmm. that i have these very intense like deep feelings and memories of like i can't think of anything better than that i can create new games on that very same system right like when i stop and think about that it's it blows my mind and i know it sounds silly um or maybe i'm being dramatic but it's just so special to me so like the fact that i can share that with other people Mm-hmm. who care at least to some degree the same way that I do. Right. I don't know how many scenes like you can find something like that in. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. And I mean, one, one thing that's interesting is how you, you, um, you were talking about how back in 2007, there weren't that many games being made for the system. And it's interesting because earlier than that, there had been a pretty strong Game Boy Advance homebrew community um and uh nathan tolbert um uh, made anguna for the for the game boy and i think he did Mm -hmm. a ds game too right uh ds version um it's interesting to see how it kind of i don't know i mean maybe i'm wrong about this but it seems like that sort of fizzled out compared to the nes and the super nintendo and genesis if you stop to analyze um, the homebrew scene of a lot of systems started taking off when the internet became sort of super prevalent and easily accessible. People mm-hmm. were able to get online, find information. So at the time, the Game Boy Advance was sort of the new system. And the fact mm-hmm. that people could make games for that, you know, they had interest in it, but they moved on to something else. I think the or as far as the NES is concerned we're sticking with it because we have that deep rooted care for the system we grew up it was a part of our life and those formative years we're thinking back to that because you know at that stage of our life there were just joyous times right so that's why i'm not moving on for it because like it's the system that i just it's in my soul you know yeah. i grew up with it and it's just like i can't imagine my life without it and so, so the, 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 the GBA was kind of still, it was, it was prevalent on the market at the time that that was going on. Like people, you could still buy a new GBA in the store, right? Like yeah. that was a, that was a current system. Mm-hmm. So then I, what you're, I think getting at is that in 20 years, there'll be a big resurgence of, uh, middle-aged pe- people who, well, no, let's see. then so maybe maybe in like 10 years there'll be a resurgence of uh gba homebrew of all the people who grew up and were young playing the game boy advance i Um, think so um i think that you know i think super nintendo hasn't taken off because 
the tools required to make a game for Super Nintendo, I think, are a little bit more complicated than the NES. Um, and I think because GBA can be programmed with a modern language, as far as I know, yeah. th- making the tools to make something like that is is doable for a single person. Yeah. Um, I don't. Th- I think that the Super Nintendo and you know maybe some of the other systems from the mid '90s, mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be a little bit harder to have a community grow from yeah you know it's yeah the gba you can program in c for the most part um only the really timing critical stuff needs to be an assembler um but that is an interesting point because like the super nintendo although it's similar in in power to the game boy advance it it does still require the um the use of assembly because the cpu is not quite as powerful even though the graphics capabilities are very similar yeah and um, definitely take everything i say with a grain of salt because i don't know what i'm talking about these are just well, theories <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm uh, i'm just speculating too sure uh eugene th- uh is uh signing off for now so thank you oh for man thanks for stopping by right yeah um, i hope to see you at magfest Oh yeah, so let's let's talk about that a little bit because I I promised you that it, we wouldn't do too long, because um, you know it, you've got your evening and you've got work tomorrow <laughs> I assume so, um, but uh, so you're going to be at Magfest. I'm going to be absolutely at Magfest. Um, yes, awesome. So so it's uh, I'm excited uh, to actually like meet a bunch of you guys in person. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, that's the other thing. So I told my wife about um, when I first started talking to everybody about you know all the shows and how everybody goes to all the shows, and and I was so excited about it because of that you know sort of deep seated um, uh, love and abiding reverence that everybody has for the system, but also that everybody is just so cool, yeah, um, and really into the scene, and so. Um, she, we, I told you we went to Long Island Retro Gaming Expo, and and that was a cool show. But she was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> have fun, have fun." Um, but uh, yeah, so you're going to be there the whole time? Absolutely. Yeah, we're flying in. I think on Thursday afternoon, and okay. then we'll leave on. I think we're leaving on Sunday. Okay. But yeah, I'll be there definitely the whole time. Cool. We're staying at the hotel. Yeah, we're. Uh, I'm gonna drive down on uh, that Wednesday before, because um, I have a, an uncle that lives down in Maryland, and then um, and then I'll be there Thursday th- till probably Saturday. Okay. Um, so that'll be cool and be uh, yeah, be good to get everybody together. I've already promised several people that I owe them uh, at least one beer. So. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm going. <laughs> um, so let's see. To wrap it up, I feel like every every interview or or, or question, you know, sort of chat show has like their their ending mm-hmm. um, that they they do that they have to like repeat with all their guests. And so Absolutely. what I what I wanted to do was I wanted to start with, um, and we'll see if I have to change these because they suck or what, but. Um, favorite licensed game uh i have to go with the legend of zelda okay yeah that's uh that's you know i feel like it's a safe answer um but i just played too much of that game growing up to to give anything else i mean i just have it memorized frontwards and backwards (laughs) yeah i feel the same way that was that was my go-to game um the game that f- from the uh, licensed era that you hate the most. 
Ooh, that's a tough question. Hate the most. Because there are so many games that are so bad. Right. <laughs> and I could tell you, I mean, I don't hate the game. I just, I was, I think it was more so I was so disappointed when I got it. Because, you know, as a kid, I wasn't like, we, we, we didn't, I didn't have a lot of games. And so when you went and bought a game, if it was disappointing or bad, you were just like, oh my God. Oh my God, I can't yeah. believe I just wasted all this money on this game. Um, and that's a, a boyness blob. I don't know. I just, to this <laughs> day, I like it sounds like a cool game. And I remember the Nintendo, Nintendo Power episode where they were, uh, not episode, the issue where they talked about it and, and just being like, oh, what is this? Yeah. I feel like it would be, and I don't know if it's fair to say, because I'm only saying this because um, I never played the game growing up, but there are certain games that have a bit of, of sort of um, people look at with revenants or whatever. And like, I went back to try to play them. Um, but wizards and warriors, I thought the controls were just super clunky. Yeah. Um, like w those early games that just, they just don't feel good. And if you didn't grow up playing it, I don't think that you would find enjoyment out of it, but I, I was very disappointed with that game. Yeah, I went back to that one recently, and I remember as a kid feeling frustrated with how clunky it felt. Mm -hmm. And coming back to it as an adult, I at least felt like I could get better at it if I wanted to. Um, but I just didn't want to. Right. That's what I was going to say. Do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, somebody, uh, Rick in the chat said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, I. Oh, that game's awesome. I, it was disappointing in the sense that it wasn't what I expected. But after getting over that, I actually really loved that game. Um, and it was freaking hard. Like the damn yeah. level was so, yeah. like, it was a damn level right like, there's almost a puzzle aspect to it because you like certain characters work better in certain areas and you just have to learn which ones to use and where yeah no and it, it's hard i mean like there there i i still haven't beaten that one but if you know somebody said well your punishment is you have to play teenage mutant ninja turtles or a boy in his blob i'd choose teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> any day yeah no it's, it was fun i i i like it was it was just a tough game um, and then, um, and then, uh, assembler of choice. Uh, any SASM still, huh? Yeah. We're never going to get you off that or, oh, no. or, or, or using source control, are we? No. Well, to be honest, I tried source control, um, but I didn't get familiar enough with it to, to where it was just second nature. Like it always felt like, Oh crap, I have to go back and, you know, push this or something like that. Right. So, um, if I can, if I can find out a way to sort of add it effortlessly into my routine, I would love to do it because mm -hmm. there have been so many times where like I get to a certain point and I just break the game and mm -hmm. I have to just like control Z a bunch and like, let me try it from here. Okay. This isn't quite far back enough. Like if I had source control, it'd be so easy to just like, okay, let me start from this location yeah and and that's and that's assuming i mean there's a source control doesn't fix everything obviously because you have to have committed a bunch of times in between yeah. you know it working and then you breaking it which is mm -hmm. which is tough but uh all right so any asset so i think that's what we're going to start with we're going to start with favorite licensed game 
the your your most hated licensed game and your favorite <laughs> assembler. Um, no, that's good as a, as a home brewer. And then um, <laughs> anybody on the chat have any questions you want to ask Kevin or or me or both of us? Yeah, make them good. Yeah. Derek is saying that he learned about a new GUI called Git Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, no clever name created. Yeah, no, <laughs> no uh, shortage of creative names on on that. Um, uh, so, uh, Mr. Samaflange, favorite art creation tool? Oh, that you know what? I didn't even talk about that. Yeah. So, what do you use to create your art? Um, for backgrounds, I use any screen tool. Um, okay. It's very it's useful for like importing bitmaps if I want to try to like use something that's been created and try to import it and tweak it in some way. Um, it's pretty good about bringing things in and, and guessing palettes at least somewhat uh, accurately. Um, so for backgrounds, I do use NES screen tool for sprites. Um, I've always used uh, tile layer pro. Um, that's just sort of what Brian suggested to use in nerdy nights. And I've never deviated from that. Mm -hmm. So those are the two uh, tools that I use most. Okay. Yeah, it's uh the palette thing is definitely a challenge because like even using uh even using something like Photoshop, there's just so many different steps involved in in getting it from a format that the computer is happy dealing with to a format that the NES is happy dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, but you sort of you develop ways you know as you sort of progress um through the years you, you find a way that works for you and then you never change <laughs> yeah <laughs> um infinite nes lives asks you what your favorite mapper is uh ever since uh bunny boy introduced uh un rom 512 um you know with the flash saving mm -hmm. i i have found no reason to change from that um and then of course memblers introduced gt rom which was basically the same a cheaper version just a different way to do it um so i've been using a form of un rom 512 um probably for eight years now okay a funny story early on in in the streams for whatever reason members decided to join into one of the streams <laughs> that's the, not intimidating well i wasn't <laughs> expecting it because i mean you figure what what does he need to learn about nes programming <laughs> and um and i of course hit this really serious problem that i couldn't figure out and and i kind of jokingly if i'm remembering this right was like you know memblers any ideas and he he suggested one thing that I had checked, but I double checked it just to make sure. And, and then he was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like, oh, wow. I wasn't, that was not what I was expecting. I was expecting, I mean, like you said though, like everybody. When it's, when it's someone else's problem, you don't care that much. <laughs> you know, but also, like you said, everybody is kind of a normal guy. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, it's, not every not everybody knows everything even even yeah. knows. uh so that was pretty funny <laughs> uh, any other questions from anybody doesn't look like it it looks like uh looks like we've uh exhausted everything that everybody ever wanted to know about you kevin well i'm not that interesting of a guy so <laughs> um 
but uh all right well so then we'll wrap this and uh, i just wanted to say thank you again uh i really appreciate you uh spending the time to chat with me about this it was a lot of fun definitely and um where can people find you online um i'm at on i'm on twitter at a ton of glaciers um you can find my website at khangames.com which is k-h-a-n con games if you want to pronounce it like that um or but you'd be wrong um i'm on nintendo age as khan games you can you can find me you know if you if you search for me you'll find me somewhere <laughs> right and uh and then also people need to check out if they're not already listening to it the um, NES Assembly Line podcast, which is, I think, pretty much anywhere that podcasts can be found. Yep. Uh, is that right? And uh, yeah, iTunes, Google Play Store. It's on SoundCloud. You know, if you if you Google it, you'll find it somewhere that you can listen to it. Yeah, and then and then you guys have a Patreon too too, which I, I like the way that you guys did that, where you uh, you only collect for the episodes you release. Not like these other, not like these other moochers who get money every month regardless of what they've done. <laughs> right. Um, and we try to release one a month, but you know, with with both of our schedules trying to coordinate, and then whoever we're interviewing for the respective episodes, it takes a lot of work. Um, and then editing the episodes takes anywhere from you know, five to 20 hours, depending. So, um, we do our best to get them out, but yeah, we have a Patreon. Um, we honestly have way more support than we expected. So, uh, we really appreciate everyone out there who uh, cares enough about what we're doing to, to donate. So, um, I don't know if I should ask this because, uh, Derek is obviously trolling you a little bit. He wanted to know how you did your fills for the risk game you're working on. Oh, that was with a tool. <laughs> uh, Kasumi made that tool for me and he did yeah. it in about five minutes. Yeah, that was kind of great. I, I really liked seeing that in real time because there were, there were a couple of people who were trying to figure out how to do that. Um, yeah in python or something and and like five minutes later kasumi kind of popped out nowhere was with it's like here it's done <laughs> i thought he was joking like i thought he just sent me like a dummy file but i opened it up and sure enough it was dumb joke about that kind of stuff yeah that guy's uh brilliant for sure so all right kevin thanks a lot i appreciate yeah. being on here and uh i'll see you on discord and yeah mag magfest and have a great night all right Thank you, you too. And thank you for everyone who's watching. I appreciate you. All right. Have a good one.